This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for Levon Hernandez's postseason win-loss record or Gary Carter's career putouts, this is not the place. But if you want to root, root, root for a home team that isn't there anymore, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And today we're saying atutalea to people who ruin baseball. Welcome to Bad Hops. Jackie got a little French in there. I think today is going to be a bilingual episode, which I might be our first time. Although, no, we we did little Japanese uh, in we a did. previous uh, episode. We learned to say Pepitone, and, and that was pretty exciting. Bonjour, mon. Comment allez-vous? Uh, très bien. Et, oui. et toi? Moi aussi. Très bien. <laughs> Welcome to the Bad Hops French lesson. <laughs> yes. Bonne nuit et bonne chance to all of you out there listening. You may be guessing that we may be traveling not to France, but to Quebec. And we will be getting there. But to get there... We're going to be traveling across scorched earth. That's the theme of tonight's episode. Another joyful, happy, whatever (laughs) kind of episode. We recently did an episode of Lingering Regrets in baseball, which is another bright, sunshiny thing. And as we were talking in, in between segments about when a team goes away, that's the ultimate lingering regret. But there are some people involved in Major League Baseball that apparently take great pleasure in making teams go away. And so we're going to be talking about some of those folks. Why on earth would you even scorch the earth? I think some of these people even salted the earth afterwards so that nothing would grow. We've been hearing a lot of things outside of baseball. The whole like Warner Brothers Discovery HBO Max debacle of deleting movies before they were ever released and or pulling content off of streaming services. We've seen a company called Twitter no longer exist. It's still called something else. I'm not even going to get into that. Oh, Uh, but it's called X. X. And and I just recently looked at my app and I was like, wow. now Because now it has like kind of looks like it's like, you know, been like scraped or crinkled like an energy drink or something. Like it is, I mean... I bet it looked like the jeans you bought at Brass Buckle in 1988. I mean, a little bit. A little acid wash? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely a little acid wash. Very, yeah, very on brand. I mean, but it is kind of scorched earth on the yeah. social platform that used to be named Twitter. And we're seeing that also Simon & Schuster just got uh, bought by a hedge fund who has essentially said, we're going to liquidate the assets. And it's like, will there be a publishing company when it's done? I, we don't know. Why are people tearing things apart just for the sake of tearing them apart? In corporate America, they're picking off the valuable things, selling those off at top dollar, and then probably declaring bankruptcy to say that we're not going to pay for the rest of the things that we borrowed money to to do. It, you know, it happens. It's kind of this corporate vulture mentality. But in baseball, we've seen a couple teams get ripped apart in recent memory. And I'm not sure that I can honestly argue why. It does nothing but create ill will among the fan base. It makes every player and 
employee of a baseball team uncomfortable knowing maybe it's going to happen to us? How is that good for baseball? I don't know that we have an answer to that, but we're not going to stop us trying. Definitely not. Yeah, I I don't get it. I know that it's, you know, it's like anything else. It's greed. It's a money grab or like, oh, it's also lazy. I think a lot of like what you're seeing with the streaming services, including this laziness, like we don't want to pay people. We don't want to have to deal. We don't have to deal with a new business model. We're going to pretend like, you know, like we're not making record profits that we're, you know, that people that we're not giving, you know, we're actually giving people a fair wage if it was 1925. Honestly, I think it all comes down to greed. It all comes down to laziness. And I just think, also just kind of like a lack of creativity among business people in general. It's like they think things have to be a certain way because that's what the mindset is. And that's what you see You see in baseball. It's like, oh, well, we can't have the Montreal. We can't, there's no fan base there. It's like, well, yeah, because you destroyed it. You actively destroyed it. And then you're like, well, we can't have baseball in Montreal. They're not interested in it. No, <laughs> because they hate you. Exactly. And they're bitter and they've been burned. And we're going to actually be talking quite a bit about Lay's Expos uh, because that is the ultimate case study for now in 2023, foreshadowing to the end of the episode. We can look back at the storied history of the Expos and then the less than storied demise of the Expos. Talking about scorched earth, it's been almost 20 years and I don't think any thing is going to grow in that jardin. No, no, it's not. Although it's just the irony that, um, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this a little bit more, Mark, how they kept saying that they want Tampa to play some of their, half of their games in Montreal. It's like, dear God, what? Like first you just, you know, no one wants to be in Montreal. Then it's like, oh no, we want Tampa to split their time between, you know, Tampa and Montreal. What? And it's yeah. Tampa. It's not even like you're talking about a team, like a New York team, or even say if you had a team like, I don't know, like in football, the Buffalo Bills, it's actually close by. That yeah. might make sense. But I think it is the the mindset seems to be, well, these people aren't happy. These people are happy. What if we got everybody to kind of a middle ground where no one's really happy at all? Exactly. That seems to be the the way of the the way they're going. Well, can I ask you a touchy question. I don't want to get you upset or trigger you here, but who is Jeffrey Loria? Oh, Jeffrey Loria. You know, Jeffrey Loria is was was the owner of the Expos at one point and then what was the owner of the Miami Marlins, or I think they were the Florida Marlins. Oh, he Marlins. was the owner of the Florida Marlins. The Florida Marlins, not the Miami Marlins. But also, we're still in Miami. But, but we're still in Miami, but they're Florida. Yeah. But he was also a New York art dealer. So that's his background. He's an art. He's a New York art dealer. That and qualified him to own a team. But I guess, you know, the only thing that qualifies you to own a team is to have a lot of money. I think that is the only qualifier. And I think if you have a lot of money, no one will stop you. Maybe. It depends. Maybe. Maybe. It depends. Well, it depends. We'll see, but we're, but that's a that's a whole other episode we could do on on situations like that. So that that is true. That is true. So yeah, Jeffrey Loria basically was instrumental in tearing apart two whole teams. We're we're going to spare the chat about the Marlins <laughs> for the most part today because we are going to focus on Montreal. It's one thing to get rid of your favorite free agent players, but it's a whole other thing to get rid of an entire team. Jackie, I don't think Frank Sinatra ever said, let's go north of the border, but that's where we're going. We're heading above the Great Lakes. We're heading up into Quebec. 
May we grab that passport because we are crossing the border. Mark and I were talking about last episode, I got into the 1994 Montreal Expos and and we were just, we decided, you know what, we need to just explore and look at the Expos more because it really, they were done dirty, especially their fan base. So first I thought I'd give a little history of the Spos or Nos Amours, as they were known as the team played in as we were talking about Montreal, Quebec, Canada, from 1969 to 2004. They were the first major league baseball team to play in Canada because the Toronto Blue Jays, they didn't come on the scene until 1977 during that expansion. So professional baseball in Montreal dates back to 1890 when teams briefly played in the International Association. In 1897, the Montreal Royals of the Eastern League were founded and they played for 20 seasons. Now, the Royals were revived in 1928 and purchased by the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1939 to serve as one of their AAA affiliates. And I don't know, you might understand, you might, the Montreal Royals may come to mind. You may, that may sound somewhat familiar because there was a player who played in for the Montreal Royals before he was called up and does he share a name with you by chance he he actually does he shares a name with me (laughs) so uh, Jackie Robinson played for the Montreal Royals and helped them win a um, junior world series that's what it was called back then not a triple a world series although I think the triple a world series has a different name right now but he led them to triple a world series title And actually, under the Dodgers' management, the Royals won seven International League championships and three Junior World Series. So they were a successful minor league franchise. By the late 1950s, the Royals were a team on the decline, however, and the team was sold and relocated following the 1960 season as the Dodgers reduced the number of teams they had at their AAA level. Almost immediately... Upon the Royals' demise, Montreal Mayor Jean Drapeau and City Executive Committee Chairman Jerry Snyder began their campaign for an MLB team. The city, which had been previously uh, considered a a leading contender to acquire the St. Louis Browns, by the way, um, if the team had relocated in 1933, Three was too late to submit its candidacy for a team as part of the National League's 1962 expansion, but presented its bid to the league's owners at the winter meetings in 1967. It helped Montreal that Walter O'Malley, who owned the Dodgers and formerly oversaw the Montreal Royals, was the chairman of the NL's expansion committee. So it, ha- it helps to have friends in high places, right? <laughs> Yep, rich guys knowing rich guys. It's the secret sauce to the world. For sure. So on May 27th, 1968, National League President Warren Giles announced the league would add expansion teams in San Diego and Montreal. Now, the Expos played its first home game and the, actually the first MLB game outside of the U.S. on April 14th, 1969. It was an 8-7 victory over the St. Louis Cardinals before close to 30,000 fans at their stadium at the time, which was Jerry Park Stadium. Three days later, on April 17, in just the team's ninth ever game, Bill Stowman 
Bill Stoneman pitched the first no-hitter in Expo's history with wow. a 7-0 victory over the Phillies. Think about that. The team didn't like it barely didn't even exist for a month and they had their first no-hitter. Think of like what was it the Mets? How long did it take that they they came they came around the same time and Yeah, of, well, how I mean, long? We, not too long ago, another throwback to a season two episode. This time we talked about Catfish Hunter throwing a perfect game in the first, I think, six weeks of the Oakland A's existence. Exactly. But, uh, but this, uh, the Expos win this one handily. For sure. Maybe that's ominous. Like your 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 franchise won't live forever if you. Yeah. <laughs> And, friends, the Expos peaked on that day, nine days into their first season, and it was all downhill from there. No, not really. They had definitely had some higher higher times and then some terrible times. They did. And here's one of their higher times. The team's first and only playoff appearance was in 1981, where they won the National League Division Series. Wait, the National League Division Series in 1981? How did that happen? They didn't have Division Series back then. Oh, but they did because that year, it was a strike-shortened year. So they decided to do this thing called a Division Series, and they took it away, and they brought it back later on. Uh, all the storied history of baseball is quickly unraveling the more you and I talk about it. It was like, no, things can't change. It's always been like this, unless... Unless, right? They ended up losing to the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series, and of course they lost in heartbreaking fashion. The deciding game of the series had to be postponed by a day because it was raining. So it was played on October 19th, 1981, in near freezing temperatures. Remember, we're in Quebec. That is very north. I don't know if you've ever spent time in Canada. It gets. I've heard, I've heard of it, yes. Yeah, it, especially that part of Canada. It gets fairly cold. The game was tied at one, entering the ninth inning. When they decided to take the manager, whose name was Fanning, opted to take his top starter, Steve Rogers, out of the bullpen to pitch because, you know, this was a deciding game. Rogers retired the first two batters before facing Rick Monday. And on a 3-1 count, Rogers hung a sinker that Monday crushed over the center field fence for the game-winning and serious-clinching home run. That moment... And game became known to Expo's fans as Blue Monday. Cue new order. <laughs> and that that song did. I mean, that could take our entire episode, actually. Yes. I, I, like I had the extended How one. Does it, does it feel? feel? <laughs> okay, we'll probably get it. Um, so yeah, so that's that's their storied um <laughs> playoff history right there which is why when i talked about last episode or if you're if you're taking this out of order our uh lingering wait, regrets we... episode lingering regrets say lingering regrets episode previously on bad hops lingering regrets that's why the fans were extremely excited in 1994 when they had the best record in baseball and the league's best pitching. I mean, they had they were stacked with starters, but the strike shortened 1994 season heralded pretty much a decades-long spiral. The 1995 team finished just 66 and 78. And then they bounced back the following year to 88 and 74. And one of the things that's interesting to note, Mark, is as I look at some of the records, you know, whether it's the Expos or other teams, there are a lot of teams that would have made the playoffs now. There would have been because of the, the wild card. And, and, like, there are a lot of teams that had decent records um, that would have gone to the postseason had they had extended playoffs at the time. 
as we're learning, the Expos did have a, they had a credible team for a long time, but unfortunately, well, they, they took advantage of one strike season to get into that, the phony baloney NL division series. And then it got taken away in 1994 by another strike shortened season. We will never know what an Expo looks like with a World Series ring as a result. Exactly. Exactly. We won't. I mean, in 1996, they still had some top prospects. They had Rondell White and Mark Rusalonic. They came up at, at, during that period of time. But in 1997, they traded a young starter named Pedro Martinez to Boston. And that's when the, the bottom really started to drop out of the team and their attendance. Their attendance plummeted to 642,000. Just for perspective, most teams, even teams that are middling, they usually have an attendance in the one to two million, three million range. So that's pretty darn bad. In the team's history, the Expos failed to draw one million fans nine times. Seven of those nine seasons occurred after 1994. Imagine that. Imagine making it so your fans hated you already. Why aren't they coming to the games? I don't understand. They don't understand. Now, the Expos play their first eight seasons at a stadium called Jerry Park, a 28,000-seat, kind of a bare-bones facility that was actually a converted tennis facility. Then they moved to Olympic Stadium, though it didn't significantly increase attendance, but it was a turning point for the team. Prior to the move, the the Expos had never had a winning record, but from 1979 through the ill-fated 1994 season, the Expos had just three losing seasons. Three losing seasons. Wow. Okay, that actually surprises me. They were never a dominant team, but I didn't realize that they were that consistent. They definitely were more consistent than you think. And that's the thing, though, Mark. Like, when you go back and you look, a lot of teams have winning records, but just not enough to make it to the postseason at that period of time. Which I think is why MLB owners did lobby hard for increasing the wildcard format. Because, you know, if a team has a winning record, and we've discussed some teams that couldn't get in with almost, uh, I think, 95-plus wins... Back in the old model, it's like, let's let's see some of these bruisers play. For so, sure. Yeah, it would have been great to see Montreal get a few more chances to get in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had, I mean, there were teams that definitely had win totals in the 90s that didn't make the playoffs. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of, kind of sad. Like your Seattle Mariners. Like your oh, Seattle Mariners are doing well. I don't know if they're, 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 they're on a, well, now they're on a six game streak after going through what was a nine game win streak. They, they're just, they're just hot right now. Yeah. We'll, maybe we'll, we need to threaten them with contraction. Maybe we do. Well, what was it? It was, uh, was it 1995? Did that save? Was that the year that they, uh, Save, save them to get the kingdom destroyed and the now the park known as T-Mobile builds. Yes. Well, the, ironically, the Seattle was threatened with having the team taken away and sent to St. Petersburg <laughs> in, in the early 90s. But in 1995, when the, the Mariners had their first miracle season and all of a sudden people started going to games and loving the Mariners, that did save baseball in Seattle. But... It's a reminder of how tenuous the grip that a lot of cities, a lot of markets have on their teams. It's not a guarantee that your favorite team is going to be there next year. 
Unless you're the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Cubs. Or the Cubs, but even the Dodgers were in New York at one point. So they were in Brooklyn. They were in Brooklyn. Um, Speaking of stadiums, then owner of the Expos, Charles Brofman, hated Olympic Stadium. Have you ever been to Olympic Stadium? I've been. I, I've actually gotten, gotten to I, see it. I have not, but I think it would be uh, fair to say that that's an example of brutalist architecture. It is very seventies feeling. Yeah, and, and, and a it, lot of concrete, right? Oh yeah. So the facility built for it was a the facility was built for the nineteen seventy six Olympics, and it feels that way. It's cold and and cavernous, and apparently most of the new technologies that was created for the stadium never worked properly. For example, the roof of the stadium, now remember, 1976 Olympics, the roof of the stadium was not completed, fully completed, until 1987. Oof. It would be another year before the roof could actually retract. Even then, I didn't realize this, it could not be used in winds above 25 miles per hour. <laughs> oh my God. 20 miles off. I mean, those are, you know, I mean, they're strong winds, but they're not that strong. Not that, that are, it, this should be an issue. I'm now sort of nervous about going to San Francisco where they have all those self-driving taxis. It's like, you know, oh, well, under certain conditions, it may not be safe to cross the street. But, you know, if it's windy, don't go to the stadium in Montreal. Don't, but otherwise, don't worry about it, guys. Don't it's worry about fine. It. Otherwise, totally fine. So ultimately, it was only opened and closed eighty-eight times in its entire history. <laughs> okay, eighty-eight times, not a lot. There was also like I, I did a kind of a, a dive into uh, Olympic Stadium. I guess they also had a tower that took them a while to complete. I don't think that was completed in time for the Olympics. And apparently there were pieces of it that fell onto the playing field. Luckily not during a game. So they had to like move their games for the Expos had to move their games into to another facility uh, for a period of time while they fixed that. So well, to be fair, that happens at all the Canadian baseball stadiums. It happened at Rogers center too, but sure. Yeah. Uh, Olympic stadium, I think, I don't even know that it was that dazzling when it opened. It just, it was a striking view. I remember watching those Olympics when I was a little kid uh, and seeing that big dome kind of sticking out over the Montreal skyline. But yeah, it did not age well because it started aging immediately. Pretty much. Like it just, it was, it was bad from the jump. (laughs) Anyway, then the then owner, Bronfman lobbied the city for a new baseball-only facility, but the city wasn't having it. They cited failed economics of professional baseball at that time in that city. The Expo's total revenue was less than what the Yankees received just for their broadcast rights. So what did Bronfman do? He put the team up for sale. So, and now this is, we should take a break here because this is where things start to get interesting and our pal Jeffrey Loria, his ugly head appears. Ah, the darkness ensues. Jackie, you haven't painted the happiest picture in the world already, but you got some heavy stuff dropping down on us now, huh? And not just from the roof of Olympic Stadium either. <laughs> but, but also that too. <laughs> that too, that too. <laughs> so as I said, Brownman put the team up for sale, and the Expos were sold to a group of 14 investors in 1991. 14 oh, that's, investors. That's, that's easy to reach consensus. So that sounds oh, like that's going to sure. work out just fine. So this group of 14 investors, they own, they bought the team in 1991, ran the team. 
after things were fairly okay for a couple of years, but after the lost season of 1994 and with the writing on the wall, the owners instructed general manager at the time, Kevin Malone, to strip the team of its stars. So that's when the, the fire sale happened in, after that. The team didn't offer salary arbitration to any of their star players, any of their wow. star players, which was stupid because it also meant that they didn't get any draft picks either. So <laughs> I always make sure to buy extra tickets when I know that there's nobody good on a team. For sure. Now, one of their stars, I, you may you may have heard of him, Larry Walker, who was probably the biggest star at that period of time, he told ESPN that he would have been happy to take a pay cut to stay in Montreal, but the Expos never contacted him after the season ended. Wow. Yeah. And now the Expos had a great farm system because they, you know, they had guys like Larry Walker and Moises, Moises Alou. Moises uh, Alou, yeah. I know. I was going to say, I, I was getting him confused with his dad, Felipe Alou, who actually um, managed the team for a while. But not only did they did they not give their their stars, you know, they just said, uh, see ya, don't come back. We're not going to offer you any money. They decided they were not going to replenish the minor league system. If that wasn't Bad enough. Disaster in human form was just around the corner. Dun, dun, dun. Jeffrey Loria had wanted to own a baseball team for quite some time. He was in his early 50s at the time, and he was a native New Yorker, so apologies. I'm sorry. He's one of, one of, one of mine. And he had his, as I said, he made his fortune in the art world, I'm sure, because he really had an appreciation for fine art. Yes. Apparently bought the Oklahoma City 89ers, which I've never heard of, a AAA team in 1989. He sold them four years later to go after a major league club. Wait, he when, tried... when, he, when he sold them, were they called the Oklahoma City 93ers? I mean, he, they might have been. <laughs> we need to think about a team that changes its name every year to kind of stay au courant. <laughs> For sure. He actually tried to buy the Baltimore Orioles in 1994, but failed, losing out to another great owner, Peter Angelos. Oh, a real peach. He should have he should have bought the Atlanta team because he is a real peach. Oh, for sure. Although he actually, Peter Angelos, who I never have anything nice to say about, actually looks like a good guy compared to Jeffrey Loria. He really does, actually. Jeffrey Loria manages to make some really reprehensible people look like they're angels. Five years later, in 1999, Loria was able to buy a minority interest in the Expos for $50 million and become the team's managing general partner. And $50 million, by the way, is like nothing for, I realize it's a minor, minority ownership, but kind of nothing for a franchise if you look at it in today's money. Oh, yeah, totally. Loria being the slime bucket that he was. Over the next couple of years, Loria bought out the majority of the general partners, eventually owning 92% of the Expos. And that was totally fine with all of the other partners, right? Oh, totally. I'll get more into that later. In his first speech as owner of the Expos, Loria said, let's turn this thing around and grow the farm system and build a championship caliber club. Just kidding. He never said that. No. <laughs> <laughs> let's win one for the Gipper. I hate the Gipper. We're not going to win one. <laughs> let's kill the Gipper. No, what he really, he, what he really said, he, he said of Olympic Stadium, we cannot and will not stay there. 
He wanted a new park. He wanted a new stadium. That was his first, as majority owner, that was his first thing that came out of his mouth. Give me a new stadium. <laughs> I hate everything about this team. The end. Love, Jeffrey. Pretty much. Well, the city of Montreal made it very clear at the time that they would not be building a new ballpark when millions were still owed on the lovely existing Olympic Stadium. <laughs> but later, the city began to warm to the idea of a new stadium. Labatt Park was designed and ready to be built using a combination of public and private financing and was set to be ready for the 2002 season. Laurier, however, did not like that. He demanded the city pay a higher percentage of the building costs. This wasn't good enough for him. He wanted more. So you know what the city said? The city said pretty much, F you, we're done with you and your antics, and they canceled the project. Well, now, to be fair, I, don't, I really don't want to defend this guy at all, but so many cities cave in so quickly on agreeing to pay for a stadium. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to pay for a stadium if I knew someone else was going to pay for it. So, yeah, you... You cry and you mope and you whine and you throw a little hissy fit and say, well, I don't really like this stadium. I don't like this stadium either. And a lot of times you get a new stadium out of the deal anyway. So, yeah, I don't blame them for trying, but like, hey, elected officials, like maybe like stick up for like your constituents instead of some boiled team owner that comes in and starts roughing you up. And I'm going to tell you, Labatt Park actually sounded like it would have been kind of cool. So I found this from ballparks.com. The model introduced to the media was a departure from recent ballparks built at the time. There would be no retro-styled brick facades or sharp angles. The new stadium was oval in shape, and a transparent exterior glass wall was planned to follow the stadium's curves and to surround its steel frame. This would allow spectators to witness activity in the neighboring streets and public squares. The wall would also reflect the surrounding scenery, sky, trees, etc. during the day, while at night it would reveal outside activity in the surrounding neighborhood. It offered many views from the outside to the inside, and it's and its design promised a sense of closeness and intimacy. But it wasn't good enough because <laughs> I want you to pay for all of it. It costs money. Wow. Yeah, yeah that actually sounds like a pretty cool park. It does. It sounded really, really kind of interesting. So Laurier wasn't done being who he is. In 2000, he his demand for increased broadcast rights fees was so great that the team couldn't find any English-speaking radio or television stations to carry their games. Hope you can speak some French. <laughs> Ouch. May we. Manager Felipe Alou, who had been with the organization for 27 years, was one of the most beloved expos. He had recently been offered a hefty raise to leave Montreal and manage the Los Angeles Dodgers. He refused, citing loyalty to the expos as his reason. Oh, Felipe. Short time later, Loria fired him. Replaced him with his friend, Jeff Torborg, who was a former MLB catcher, who, by the way, would later manage the 2003 Marlins. Nice. Speaking of which, Loria wanted to buy the Florida Marlins, which was then owned by John Henry. Pay attention now, because John Henry. John Henry owned the Marlins, but, but John Henry wanted now to buy the Red Sox. You following along here? <laughs> Is this going to be like the most complicated trade deadline trade writ large in billions of dollars? No, it basically was just, you know, a bunch of rich guys 
coming together and saying, you know, this is what we want. We want to do this. Major League Baseball said it was okay. There was a lot of money involved. So MLB was fine with it. So Henry bought the Red Sox, Gloria bought the Marlins, and the other 29 owners bought the Montreal Expos for $120 million. Wow. Yeah. I remember I mentioned Gloria's had some business partners that he, you know, managed to bamboozle. They had gone from collectively owning 76% of the Expos to owning less than 7% of the Marlins. They actually filed a, a RICO lawsuit against him, Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, in case you don't know what RICO is. You might hear that. Oh, I think we, I think, uh, yeah. Think about it a little Everybody's bit Everybody's talking about RICO Suave these days. Yeah, a certain former president. Uh, anyway, so they filed this lawsuit against uh, Major League Baseball and then Commissioner Bud Selig, along with Loria. Bud Selig also just, don't you miss him? Don't you miss his smiling yeah, face? I wish he would come back and mess some other things up for us. Loria's former partner, or actually his partners, contended that uh, he and the commissioner's office had conspired to deprive them of their shares by issuing cash calls and thus deliberately undermine the franchise's future in Montreal. However, Sally, the partners were ultimately unsuccessful in their suit, and it was dismissed in 2005 after an arbitration panel rejected their claims. That, so that's, that, that date seems significant. It does, doesn't it? It seems very significant. <laughs> Should we take a little break and I can t- we can talk a little bit more about the fire sale? Yeah, let's do it. Jackie, right before the break, I started smelling some smoke. You said there was a fire sale? There was a fire sale. Loria was packing up. He got rid of the expos. He was going to Florida now had the Marlins to mess up. So he basically began packing up everything that wasn't nailed down. He brought from Montreal to Miami the team's computers, all the equipment that didn't have Expos logos on them, and a few that did. He brought office (laughs) equipment. He brought all the team's scouting reports and other proprietary information, which seems really little unethical i mean seriously if i owned 129th of the uh, montreal expos i would want 129th of the computers and 129th of the scouting reports and uh yeah that seems highly ethical you know but he didn't stop with the post-it notes and the pens he also brought his buddy manager torborg to miami along with the entire coaching staff of the expos wow no problem there no problem there what he did leave behind was a team that was now headed for contraction. A month earlier, Major League Baseball had voted 28-2 to two to contract both the Expos and... Your Minnesota Twins. Yes, very nice. The team, stripped of everything but a few players and their uniforms... Wait, they were headed- naked? I mean, they. Could, I mean, if if Loria could have taken them uniforms, he would have. Like, it just. It sounds like he would have just like, oh, can, is, it, is there a way that we can make these safe? Florida, like, can we get a Marlin on there? Can we make the M into a Marlin? I don't know. Will that work? Also, can we get uh, a lot of Major League players to wear a barrel instead of a uniform? I mean, he might have done that, too, yeah. We're going to just sell them. Maybe we can... uh, I mean, if eBay existed at the time, he would have sold eBay. Most likely. Get your piece Uh, of history. (laughs) The team looked like it was headed into oblivion until the governing body of the Humphrey Metrodome... Oh, in yeah. Minneapolis. Minnesota to the rescue. The state of yeah. Minnesota to the rescue. Exactly. They sued Major League Baseball for breach of contract, and they won. Yay. 
So the twins were saved. We know the twins still exist. So they good for the twins for for saving their butts. And now they have a beautiful new ballpark. Well, and you know but, who you can thank in part for that? Not a baseball player or a baseball owner, but a pro wrestler and a star of Predator, Jesse the Body Ventura, who was the governor of Minnesota oh, at that time. And I think he about that. He put his foot down and said, you don't get to screw us over anymore. We You can't take the team away from us. He also did a sign off on some of the stadium funding. But yes, Minnesota saved themselves and, to some degree, Lay's Expos. Yeah, they got a bit of a, of a bit of a brief reprieve. Major League Baseball authorized the team to play in Montreal in 2002, but they were very clear that the league would appeal the judge's ruling and fully anticipated that contraction would indeed occur sometime after the season. And they then, said, we will email you about it, but they didn't have a computer anymore. <laughs> Pretty much. Because then MLB realized they didn't have a coaching staff or any front office personnel for the Expos. Thank you, Jeffrey. <laughs> That's amazing. So what happened? MLB chose baseball's chief disciplinarian, Frank Robinson, to be the team's manager. They chose the Angels vice president, Tony Tavares, to be the Expos president. And Mets assistant general manager, Omar Manaya was named the team's GM. Wow. Yeah. Do they have a draft for this? This almost no. sounds like they, it's like... It was kind of, it's kind of like, you know, when you, you, you're at your job and you're like, all right, we got this project. It's only going to last a few months, but yeah. I need to take you off of everything. So you're going to lead it and I'm going to give you, you know, Joe from accounting and Sean from marketing and Sheila from sales. And we're gonna, With the but, 27th pick, the Montreal Expos, select <laughs> the Cincinnati Reds pitching coach. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, God. So later that season, Major League Baseball agreed not to contract the Expos and the Twins. However, for more than a year, Bud Selig told the people of Montreal that they had no interest in keeping baseball in their city. The oh, people I bet stopped... they got fans into the stadium. <laughs> exactly. The people stopped coming and they stopped caring. Oakland says hi, although they actually care and you're yes. taking it away from them. So that's yeah. even worse. But instead of moving the team to a new city, Bud Selig decided that the team would play a quarter of their home games in Puerto Rico, because that seems logical. Sure. I mean, it's right next door to, it's only, one, well, it's, sorry, it's it's one country over from um, from Canada. Right. I mean, I mean yes, Puerto it's Rico right is part of the United States. I'm yeah. not messing with it's that. It's a commonwealth, just, yeah. Yeah, you just. But it's nowhere near Montreal. It's like you're going all the way north to the Caribbean. Oh, they didn't play in the Bronx, in the like the Puerto Rican neighborhood. No, they didn't play in the Puerto Rican neighborhood. <laughs> they actually in the went Bronx. to San Juan. They didn't. They they didn't make it easy. No, they did not. So, not surprisingly, the additional attendance was negligible, and this Puerto Rico Montreal split would continue until the franchise's demise. It just just ridiculous. Depending on who you talk to, Manaya is either either tried to do his best, like with what little. He, tools he was given, or he was accused of treating the Expos as though they had no future because, let's face it, they didn't have a future in the eyes of MLB. And since MLB owned the team, the the owners didn't want any money going into it because that would, you know, it's a, I mean, talk about a conflict of interest, right? Yeah. Minaya traded away some minor leaguers and future stars, including Jason Bay, 
Brandon Phillips, Grady Sizemore, Cliff Lee, and Cliff Young. But he did actually do a trade for Bartolo Colon that season. So, Oh, well, and that, you know why they did that is because Bartolo Colon had not played for the Expos yet. And there was a, a timeshare agreement that every team got to have him play for, for, them <laughs> for at least a little bit. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. Yeah, everybody needs a little piece of big sexy. <laughs> they really do. But now, despite all of this... And all these strange, all these trades and nefarious roster moves in 2002, the Exos were actually in the pennant race. Wow. They were actually not, they were actually performing well. So they figured, you know, when roster expansions were due to occur on September 1st, as they they do, you know, the, the players and the fans were excited to see what they had left in the minor leagues, you know, like it's always exciting when that happens yeah. and you get minor leaguers come up. There is a tiny problem. Major League Baseball turned down Manaya's request to bring up the young players. Why? What? They said it was too much money to do that. Oh my God. I mean, it was literally not a ton of money. It was literally like thousands of dollars, which to these guys are is like nickels on the floor. Do you, so, do you, Jackie, come on. Do you know how much bus, <laughs> bus tickets cost? <laughs> From Montreal to Puerto Rico, those are very expensive that's, bus tickets. That's right. Unfortunately, all of the minor league call-ups are now dead. They drowned. <laughs> they drowned in that unfortunate bus Unfortunate trip. bus in the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean incident. <laughs> the Expos ended up doing okay. They didn't make it to the playoffs in 2002, but they had an 83-79 and 79 record, uh, making it their first winning season since 1996. They finished second in the NL East, 19 games out of both the division lead and the wild card at the time. So then we go to, we had 2003 season, which was for a forget another forgettable season. The team finished in fourth place. And then the Expos final season came in 2004. I shed a tear for the people of Canada. For sure. Again, the season was split between Montreal and San Juan because why not? Sure. The team finished the season with a 67 and 95 record, so not great. Second worst in the National League. On September 29, 2004, Major League Baseball announced that the franchise would relocate to Washington, D.C. for the 2005 season. That same night, the team played its final game in Montreal, a 9 1 loss to the Florida Marlins. Oh, wow. I hate full circle closure. The team then played its final games on the road. Ending on October 3rd against the New York Mets, the team they had faced in the franchise's inaugural game in 69. The Expo's last ever game, the New York Mets defeated Montreal 8-1 at good old Shea Stadium. Jamie Carroll scored the last Expo's run, and Andy Chavez, ironically enough, became the final Expo's batter in history when he grounded out in the top of the ninth to end the game. The team ended their 36-year run with an all-time record of 2,753 wins and 2,943 losses and four ties. And that is the life and death of the Montreal Expos. All right, Mark, that was pretty heavy. I just want to mention one little factoid for you. Do you know that Miguel Cabrera is the last active MLB player to play against the Expos? And he's retiring this year. Always surprised to hear that Miguel Cabrera is still playing. I love the guy, but man, he is what, like, is he 44? I mean, he feels like it. He looks yeah. it too. Detroit was lucky to have that guy because he he was great. Oh, yeah. I think he's a 
very positive force for baseball, but he's old. He is. He'd be old. He'd be old, but, uh, especially for a ball player. But yeah, uh, good luck to you, Miggy, and all that you do going forward. Did he play for the Florida Marlins at any point? No. Did he? I don't Did remember. He, he might have. I, I, I feel like there's so much full circle with this. I'm going to look it up. But Mark, you're going to talk about baseball in Montreal, right? Like, what's what's going on? Baseball in Montreal? Is that a thing anymore? Well, Montreal is still a thing. You'll be happy to know it's <laughs> well, still it's God. still a lovely place with uh, amazing food and wonderful people and yeah just um, uh, you know lacking in a few other things like baseball. Like be- oh, Miguel Cabrera did play for the Florida Marlins. He was on that 2003 uh, team that okay. won World Series. So okay. I thought I thought I had seen some pictures of a young Miguel Cabrera in a Marlins uniform. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Florida. Who wants to talk about Florida? Sounds awful there. Yeah, we're done with Florida for now. Let's go back to Montreal. Jackie, you mentioned, you know, the the Montreal Expos almost had it all. We've talked about this today and then in a previous episode, too, in 1994. They were on track to make the playoffs and in solid shape to get to the World Series. And I, you know, confident, I'm sure you would agree with me, they would have easily dispatched the Yankees in that World Series. uh, I mean, they had had great pitching, so probably, but you never know. So yeah, Expos in four is uh, is what I always say uh, related to the '94 season. But of course, Montreal's best season I think really was '94, and as you mentioned, that season being cut short was already bad enough. But the nightmares kept growing. Within ten years of that, they didn't have a team. Like you said, they moved to to DC. So it's been almost twenty years since Montreal has had a baseball team, and I, I find myself asking what is it like as a baseball fan where there is no baseball it's really awful i the more <laughs> i the more i looked the sadder that i got before i go too much further um i want to cite my primary source for this episode and that is uh, madame worthington uh, my, my middle school french teacher <laughs> i want to apologize to her for mon pauvre française um, but if you told me that someday I would be un host du podcast, um, maybe, I, <laughs> maybe I would have tried harder. Oh. But, uh, the situation in Montreal is, as, as they would say in Quebec, très mauvaise, and uh, la vie sportive, and la rêve du baseball est morte. Quel dommage. Quel dommage. What's it like to lose a team? Most cities that have lost a team, whether it was the Boston Braves or the Philadelphia Athletics or the St. Louis Browns or even the Brooklyn Dodgers, most of those cities kept a team, right? Like, it's sad if it's your boys that are gone, but you might find that there's something for you nearby. I was thinking a lot about us here in Seattle, right? We lost the Supersonics in 2008, Mm-hmm. And people are still mad about that. People are still hurt. People are still really bruised by the experience of losing a storied franchise. But I mean, especially a franchise going from Seattle to Oklahoma City. Come on. Uh, the home of the 89ers, you mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's right. <laughs> when I think about Seattle's situation in 2008, the, at the end of that season was when the, the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City. But that was also the same time frame in which Seattle gained a soccer team. The Sounders came in 2007. 
five years on from the Sonics leaving, the Seahawks won those Super Bowl. And then five years after that, we got news that we'd be getting a hockey team. And we had championship years with the Seattle Storm and Sue Bird and Lauren Jackson. We had a baseball team that shows sporadic signs of life, to, uh, more so this year than in previous years. But, you know, these are all mitigating factors. The, the loss does still hurt. It's really interesting to me. Like, NBA basketball kind of ceased to exist in Seattle after 2008. I mean, obviously, the team was gone. But the Seattle Times coverage of basketball shrunk to fine print only, not even full box scores. It was just sort of like, oh, well, the Lakers beat the Clippers. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> wow, it's some real hard-hitting reporting here. The only games you could watch for almost 10-plus years were the national games that were on TBS or ABC or ESPN. Forget any suggestions that Seattle basketball fans would learn to love the Portland Trailblazers. I was shocked to learn that Blazers games weren't even available on regional cable in the Seattle market until like two years ago. Oh, wow. I and did not know that. That's silly. Again, if that's not your team and you still love the Sonics, you're never going to find another team. But we did miss out on some of the Damian Lillard heyday and, and stuff like that. But, you know, tell that to someone that bled green and gold, that loved the Sonics so much there is no more basketball. Basketball did cease to exist. So I'm thinking about Montreal under those circumstances because Seattle had a cornucopia of professional sports success in the, the period since the Sonics left. Montreal has the Canadians in hockey and they have the Alouettes in Canadian League football. And that's all we got. Montreal has 4 million people, the largest city in North America without a Major League Baseball team. Really? Now, now wondering if, well, we, obviously Mexico City does not either, so I think maybe my stats are wrong, but 4 million people is still 4 million people. There is clearly an opportunity for baseball to return there, but it is not. Uh, the yeah. Montreal, Montreal also has a, an MLS team, just so you're uh, aware. Oh, I know that okay. you don't care about soccer, but, <laughs> All right, well, but it's have... not the same as, you know, MLB. That, that is true. It's a big one, but it's not a super big one. Well, I mean, uh, apologies. Tell me the name of the Montreal MLS team, and I will apologize to, to them directly. They apparently are CF Montreal. And I should know this because I follow the Sounders and I had to well, actually yeah, you're, look this you're a, you're, a, you're a soccer fan and then you just sort of mumbled some things. I think it's called CF Montreal. I, like, I well, don't. I, yeah, I don't, I, could, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen the Sounders play them. So I, I, I could have made up that team name, Jackie. You could have made it up. But I, I like to go to, I, I tend to like to go to uh, Sounders games that are more like rivalry games when they play like the Vancouver Whitecaps or the Portland Timbers. I, I love rivalries but i'm gonna harken back to our our uh, episode on rivalries you should check it out it's good stuff in doing some research for tonight i was finding a lot of excuses some people blamed quebecois separatism for why baseball doesn't <laughs> well, be i mean because they blame that for that, that gets blamed for a lot of things there that's you know Right, the price, the price of poutine, the, the uh, <laughs> price of poutine, like Tim Timbit shortages. Uh, the you know the fact that Miss Vicky is known as Mrs. Vicky. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of like serious issues affecting uh, the you know the, the Canadian to American exchange. 
Obviously, the contraction thing was uh, an issue. I heard a lot of like small market beefing. Four million people in Montreal. Again, small markets, you guys. It's greed. And Jackie, you made that abundantly clear. It was greed. And it was like a weird vanity-driven greed of like, I want to do it this way. I don't like the stadium. I I don't like these people. And I don't like spending money on minor league teams. And oh, by the way, I backed up a truck and it's full of the computers. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So it's greed, right? This is the thing. When you scorch the earth, when you salt the earth, nothing can grow. And I think Major League Baseball, not just Jeffrey Loria, but certainly Jeffrey Loria, Mm -hmm. made it so that why would anybody care about baseball anymore in, in Montreal? But I... I know that they have to believe that it's possible. There is a group in Montreal called the Montreal Baseball Project. Mm-hmm. And I did a little research on that. There's a Bronfman involved, and I did not double check to see. I assume it's a family member related to one of the previous owners. Probably, but yeah. They formed in 2013. You will find no mention, almost no mention, on the initial pages on their website of any money involved in this, they put Warren Cromarty, an Expos hero from days gone by. I guess he, you no longer have to say that anymore, right? It's If he's an Expos hero, it was from days gone by. Their whole mission was to bring baseball back to Montreal. And by the way, for anybody that says, oh, you know, baseball's boring. Well, you know what, you guys? I read a 60-page feasibility study conducted by Ernst & Young on behalf of the Montreal Baseball (laughs) Project today. (laughs) Wow. Are you investing? Should we invest? No, I am not investing. (laughs) Okay, so that's all right. (laughs) But I am definitely appreciative of 13 inning games that are 0-0 ties until the very end (laughs) because it's no 60-page feasibility study. You will be shocked, Jackie, to learn that the results of a survey commissioned by a group wanting to bring baseball back to Montreal says, yeah, baseball is a viable proposition in the city. Interesting. Yeah. But then you'll also be shocked to learn that they squirmed right out of it to say it's so expensive to build a stadium, so maybe it'll never work. Stadiums are expensive. You know, like they say in Montreal, vous en gagnez un peu, vous en perdez un peu. You win some, you lose some. So this group has been around since 2013. I read a a study from Moshe Lander, who is a professor at Concordia University in Edmonton. Getting all the Canadian sources in here. And this is from the Montreal Gazette, by the way. Professor Lander says there is never going to be a team in Montreal. Ouch. (laughs) Here's what he said. Here's what he told the Montreal Gazette. They're never going to get a team. It's not going to happen. I don't think baseball is an attraction like it was when they first got a franchise in the 60s. Now, Toronto. We have one heel in this story, Jackie. Jeffrey Mm -hmm. Luria. We have another heel emerging. Says Toronto, to some extent, runs Canada. And Toronto would not want Montreal to infringe on their rights. Professor Lander goes on to say a new stadium downtown would run into the billion-dollar-plus range. And the idea of public taxpayer money to finance such a stadium would not be accepted. I understand. I think you have to have a rabid subset of those 4 million people in Montreal saying, we have to have baseball, bring back the Expos, make this happen before there would be any political taste for making that kind of investment. 
this Montreal baseball group who Professor Lander is essentially saying is not going to make this become a reality. Stephen Bronfman and Mitch Garber, not to be confused with Mitch Garver, the catcher for the Twins, (laughs) apparently has no interest, no actual interest in either gaining an expansion franchise or a relocated team because Garber told the Canadian Baseball Network website in October 2022 that his group the Montreal Baseball Project, was against pursuing a team that would play the traditional 162 games. Okay, how does that work? (laughs) The last time I checked, I think that is the minimum barrier to entry you have to agree to play a full season. I would think that that's how that works, but... Jackie, you referred to the Expos as no some mores, our loves, Stephen Bronfman and Mitch Garber apparently also have another kind of love because it says they fell in love with the split-season part-time concept half-Tampa, half-Montreal. I mean, it just, it's just, I don't, I don't understand. It's because, it is because they did that stupid thing with Puerto Rico and Montreal. No gripes with Puerto Rico. If they wanted to put a team in Puerto Rico, great. In San Juan, that's totally makes sense. But this was just dumb. Yeah. This was from October 2022 that they said that they loved the split season concept. October 2022, again, this date is significant. <laughs> October 2022, huh? <laughs> because in January of 2022, Major League Baseball said there will be no split season anything. <laughs> so apparently the Montreal Baseball Project, a group dedicated to bringing baseball to Montreal, is at best a part-time endeavor to play mm-hmm. some games in Montreal And it started to make me think that maybe they're not on the up and up here either, that they're just using this project to get something for nothing, but not actually bringing baseball to the city. It looked like there was a sigh in there. Oh, no, there there was a heavy sigh. I don't I don't actually want to, like, stick my face right up against the microphone and go. I felt it. I felt it. But yeah, there there have been multiple sad sighs through all of the research phase and through this whole episode, hearing your story, hearing my part of the story. It's just, it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the Sonics and I mentioned, you know, you can't go up to somebody wearing a Sonics jersey and say, well, what do you think about the Trailblazers? Or like, are you like a LeBron guy? They're going to tell you to like beep off, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not going to entertain that. I was realizing, you know, how many... Mom and pop shops across the country and across Canada um, have been displaced by Dollar General or Walmart or whatever. And the folks that own those stores get beaten by the big boys. And then they have to then shop at the big boys because their own store <laughs> no longer exists. I don't think there's any Expos fans that would be like, oh, you know what? I'm cool with the Blue Jays now. This is where Major League Baseball's started scorching the earth but now it's feeling like what you and i have been seeing the past couple days is that the blue jays are the ones throwing the salt down i think so and essentially making it so that montreal won't have a team that would steal attention away from canada's team it's easy to call the blue jays canada's team because that's it there is no other team there is no other it makes no sense to me that they i mean and maybe it doesn't have to be in montreal and i think i mentioned this to you earlier on but 
before we started that I don't understand why there another team in Canada does, doesn't exist, especially in Vancouver, because I mean, we're talking about, you know, and Vancouver is a big market and yeah. maybe there's no appetite for baseball in Vancouver, but it's certainly, that would be a rival for the the Mariners. That would make sense. Yeah. That another, would, uh, another Cascadia challenge. I, I, I would love to see it. And also for the Blue Jays. Why do the Blue Jays get to be the only game in town in in Canada? I mean, and I'm sure there are people, I know that Canadians in general tend to root for Toronto because that's all they have. But maybe if you put a team in another region, there would be more region, there would be regional pride and they, you know, Toronto wouldn't be the, the, the country's team. Maybe a Rogers who owns everything. Maybe they don't want another team, and I wouldn't be surprised because I mean, doesn't Rogers own basically? I mean, basically anything that you go to, any 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 stadium, any anything, it, it's Rogers. I'm gonna put you down as a yes for Saskatoon then, and okay, uh, I, cool. I think that's that's gonna be great. Saskatoon would, yeah. It now feels very unlikely that we'll see baseball in Montreal, there's not going to be a big push for it. Like we're seeing in other cities like Nashville or Portland, Mm -hmm. although expansion seems to have kind of gotten very quiet in the last four or five years. One other thing that I do want to mention, because you and I observe this on the regular, but I, I think a lot of people that don't live in Seattle would be surprised to know that the Mariners Blue Jays series always sells out. And the thought is that 60% of the attendees on those game weekends are Canadian. Yep. They actually drive in. People from Vancouver and, and you know, I, I assume that most of them are, are within a day's drive, therefore nowhere near Toronto. They will come in and they will take over the city. It's a Blue Jays home game for that series until the Mariners ticketing office can actually change that around. The, the point is there's a rabid appetite for baseball in Canada that's not just in Toronto. Back to my bummer. I, there was another sigh. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I saw the sigh, too. I, I, I can see all the sighs. You're very good at suppressing them so that they don't come out over the mic, but I can see them. <laughs> I saw the sigh. You opened up my eyes. My I saw the sigh. Listen, you're a baseball fan in Montreal. We see you, people of Quebec. We feel you. Our heart hurts for you. If you still love baseball after 20 years of scorched earth, bless your heart. You are a survivor and we believe in you. But what do you do if you're a baseball fan? Well, we've already determined that to support the Blue Jays would be rude. What else are you going to do? Hey, I got an idea. What about minor league games? I was shocked and dismayed to learn that the closest minor league team to Montreal that does not require a passport is in Vancouver. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Baseball is in Vancouver. It is in Vancouver uh, because when Major League Baseball reconfigured the minor league system, they basically took everybody onto the other side of the border and back into the States. Some unlikely sources, maybe first-time sources for bad hops, Eater, Toronto, (laughs) and Time Out. I started looking up sports bars. I'm like, well, let's, you know, if we can't go to a game, maybe we can go watch a game somewhere. Most of the sports bars in Montreal focus on, unsurprisingly, hockey for Les Obs or or football, either Canadian or American, um, soccer. One of the top-rated sports bars in Montreal is called Bar Champs. 
They featured transmasculine arm wrestling night, which I think is really awesome. What? (laughs) But they don't show baseball games. Well, of course not. Of course not. Because what would they show? They, I guess, they would uh, show Blue Jays games. They would show the Blue Jays. Would be rude. Although the irony that may happen this year is the Mariners may keep the Blue Jays from the playoffs if they stay on this this tear. Well, they did it last year. Well, they, I mean, technically the Jays were in the playoffs, but they didn't get very far thanks to the Mariners. So let's, let's do this. Let's Let's uh, do it. Let's do this for the people of Montreal. A Mariners victory is a Montreal victory. I'm calling it now, Canada. (laughs) If you're a baseball fan in Montreal and you're bitter, I understand you have earned that bitterness. Major League Baseball turned their back on you and they tried to make your life miserable. I think that's just an absolute disgrace. This has really, honest to God, been one of the most bummer episodes that we've worked on. It really is. I think you and I need to pledge to do a listicle or something next time. It's like the dorkiest mascot. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I forgot. This is my first, like, oh, my God of uh, Bad Hops history. You know who suffered through all of this as well? Yuppie. We didn't Yuppie, even talk about Yuppie. But Yuppie survived, though. Isn't he the Montreal Canadiens ma- mascot now? Yuppie, the beloved mascot, whatever he was, he was sort of a kind of a gritty no, like Phillies fanatic kind of looking guy. Yeah, kind of um, like if they had a baby. That's <laughs> yeah. He was not invited to move to DC. I don't know who did this, but he was sold to the Montreal Canadiens. He is now the mascot for the hockey team, but he was sold. I don't know. I love it. I, I don't know who profited from that. I hope it's not Jeffrey Loria. Uh, but the important thing is that a Montreal icon has persevered and, and lives on today, but now he's a hockey boy. So. Viva la Lupi! <laughs> forever! What a mess. Let's take a break and then let's let's make it worse, shall we? Jackie, I promised it could get worse. It's a recurring theme this season on Bad Hops because it is looming large over our beloved game of baseball. The Oakland A's are moving to Las Vegas. And all of this Montreal business, all of the bad things that happened to Montreal, well, it's going to be worse in Oakland. Oakland's already lost their pro football team. The Raiders moved to Las Vegas a couple years ago. The Golden State Warriors, who used to play across the parking lot, from the A's at the Coliseum, they've moved back to San Francisco. Pretty much any minute now, the A's will be moving to Las Vegas, Nevada, and then Oakland will not have a pro sports team. Nothing. Nada. What's it going to be like in Oakland 20 years from now? They're not losing pro baseball. They do have the Giants that are 20 minutes away. The Warriors... We're always the San Francisco and Oakland team. It's shared. It's so you have a longer commute, but your team is still there. You don't have a pro football team. You do have the Niners in San Francisco, but if you're a Raiders fan, you're probably not going to switch allegiances. So it's rough. Do you just give up on sports at this point in Oakland? You might, or you might just follow them to Vegas, just pay attention to them. Because basically you're saying, you know, you're taking away this team and you're saying, well, you know, Root for this team. It's in your region. But you've been rooting for your Oakland A's. Like, you're suddenly going to become a Giants fan? It doesn't work that way. I mean, in New York, when the Brooklyn Dodgers were taken to Los Angeles, 
Brooklyn fans didn't become Yankee fans. I think they felt kind of lost and pissed off. And then when the Mets came around, even though they are in Queens, I think a, a, a lot of fans who felt displaced, they got behind the Mets because their team was taken away. So I, I, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's very easy to be like, well, this team still exists 20 minutes away, but if you've been rooting for the A's for your entire life, why would you know, like, what am I going to do now? Am I going to root for the Giants? I don't think so. It's sort of like the aunt that gives you like a terrible Christmas present. She's like, well, I heard you liked clothes. <laughs> so I brought, I bought you this acrylic sweater. Exactly. You like crazy things. It'll look great on you. Oh, it's, it, I know it's not your size, but anyway, put it on. <laughs> totally. Totally. Oakland, man, we feel you too. Montreal, like definitely if you're still a baseball fan in Montreal, you are hanging in there. I can't believe the Montreal Baseball Project is giving you any hope. And I guess Oakland still has a few tricks up their sleeve, civic government-wise, but it's not looking good at this point. It feels, until Oakland, sorry, until Las Vegas has a batter step up to home plate in the first game in Las Vegas, it's not over, but it certainly feels over. And we promise a jocular episode sooner than later, because I'm ready for it. I mean, I can't do this again. I'm so angry now after these last <laughs> two episodes. I, 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 We can't. We can't do this anymore. I need something more lighthearted. <laughs> well, why don't I get us out of here then? The fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the Stadium Organ. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie Micucci. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else. Au revoir. Au revoir.